Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Lines of By Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi, Joe. How are you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing good, dude. I heard you have a ball hernia. So I might have a hernia. In your balls, from what I understand. It's not on my balls. My balls are it's fine. In your balls. It's in your balls. The people are cl- clamoring to know about my, the health of my balls. <laughs> Joe can save the balls. You know, and I really hate saying things on this show, mostly because every time I said, like, I think I have blank, it ended up being true. He's got plague. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the fucking black death. I was recording with Francis during our series about the polar bear expedition when I was in Armenia, which required me to get up at like 6 a.m. and record. Right. The time difference. And I always kind of felt off, you know, the 6 a.m. thing mostly. But like one morning, I felt like I was fucking dead i'm like you know what i think i have covid and then i had covid <laughs> so now i think i might have a hernia and Eat your i balls. have a fucking hernia uh i don't balls. know if it is um i don't don't like going to the doctor as any good american um I do have a friend that's a doctor so i might have to tap him for some help so to speak ball tap him if you will yeah, I'm going to do the uh, the traditional Kasabian family remedy of like just punching the hernia back into place. Uh, oh, yeah. So actually, that's only partially a joke. <laughs> when what I was in- lions led by donkeys, banded cock and ball torture universe. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, that. <laughs> uh, when my dad, my dad had an umbilical hernia. So like out of his belly button. Oh. Um, because he worked at a Ford plant. He was doing like heavy manual labor because he wasn't smart enough to have one of the chill assembly line jobs. Uh, like with like robots and shit. He's a fucking dumbass. I mean, he was my dad. And he would literally like to relieve pain. He'd have us like step on it. I'm going to throw up. Yeah, it was disgusting. I, and I was like, I vividly remember. I'm like, this doesn't seem like, I'm like nine years old. Like, this doesn't seem like medicine to me, dad. <laughs> so... Now that we're talking about healthcare, that would be in place in what we're talking about today, which is the Triple Alliance Part 3. Uh, we can, I guess, it's a horrible segue from hernias to Paraguay. So when we left off last time, the War of the Triple Alliance had truly begun. And uh, while the Allies were trying to organize their men into disease-filled starvation camps, Solano Lopez went on the attack, invading the Brazilian providence of Rio Grande do Sul. Yes, I'm sure I pronounced that correctly. Well, you said, well, you said Brazilian Providence. Province. Damn it. Providence. Yeah. Whatever. Come it's at fine. me. Don't come at me. Uh, please, please leave me alone. Oh, oh do what? <laughs> the hernia? I have a hernia in my brain as well. Uh, so, yeah, nope, that's a tumor. I, I didn't give you the TBI. It's actually just like an inoperable brain tumor, but it only uh, affects the uh, the speech portion of my brain while I'm podcasting. Uh, so you can't actually make fun of me. That's your Brocus area. That's what that's called. <laughs> when I say Paraguay went on the attack, I mean kind of. Paraguayan general Estagariba went across the Uruguay River, and he had to sit and wait for a month as he uh, had been ordered to wait for General Robles, who had went and got himself lost while trying to find his way there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, as someone who didn't do great in land navigation, uh, shipping I, over your own dick trying to invade a country. <laughs> like, I, I didn't do great in land navigation, but I didn't get so lost that I just vanished for a month. To be completely fair here, nobody gave Robles a map. Uh, so, like, 
I'll give him 50% blame for this. So when, you send, shit, dude. when you send a military formation to invade a country, you're going to want, I don't know, bare minimum, some sketches done. You know, <laughs> like, oh, where am I? Oh, just go that way until you find a river. Big river across. Yeah. Of course, since this took a month, Esther Garibe was just like, fuck this guy. I'm going without him. And then if things couldn't get any more messed up, Robles decided, well, I can't find where I'm supposed to go. I'm already over here. I'm in enemy territory. I might as well just start raiding towns, right? Like, they're they're right here. A party hardy method. Yes, yes. He ended up just raiding towns without orders, uh, which ended up, I mean, this kind of helps their overall mission, but he was supposed to support Esta Garibe. And, and more importantly, if there's one guy, I, and I, I think I've, I've pointed this out before, but if I haven't, I'll do it again. If there's one guy you really don't want to deviate from the letter of uh, of orders, are, it's, it's Solano Lopez. He believed any slight deviation from orders, especially when it comes to you know failing to link up with the guy you're supposed to link up with, as like suspicious like this guy isn't listening to me he must be disloyal he's a traitor oh no so that's exactly what happened uh he assumed he was a traitor because he was deviating from the plan why else wouldn't he be listening to the ingenious solano lopez right couldn't be that like you didn't give him a map or something he just doesn't know where he is poor fellas lost we've all been there also did i ever tell you about the uh hardies i used to manage in myrtle beach like the burger place yeah we called it party hardies because of all the drugs we were moving through there Ever tell you about that? I've lived in places where Hardys have been because it's like uh, not, they're not up north, if I remember. They might they be now. Are, well, depends on your definition of north. They are in Pennsylvania, but like you're north now. Okay, so the, I don't remember them being in Michigan. Uh, I do remember seeing them in Kentucky when I was stationed there. And I will say, if I if I was legally, well, I guess you're not never legally allowed to do drugs. But if I was, if I didn't have a job, they're required to be routinely drug tested. That's where I would have gone to buy drugs. <laughs> you ever go to uh, be Pueblo Number Two in Springfield, Kentucky, the greatest restaurant to ever exist on the face of the planet? I don't know if I ever went to Springfield, Kentucky. Three dollar margs, the size of your head, dude. Oh yeah, that would fuck me up yeah, good. Yeah, it was. It was like a moist town in that they had like controlled liquor licenses and the not places like had that description like or whatever well it's between <laughs> wet and dry it's moist <laughs> damp it's a damp town damp moist whatever it just makes me think that everybody within it is slightly wet like like you know that bit from always sunny where frank covers himself in hand sanitizer and he's just slithering yeah, around <laughs> yeah, every member of springfield kentucky is just slithering down the street or like when Trump was president, he was, it was just kind of moist. He was a sweaty boy. He was yeah. a sweaty boy. I'm like, I'm a sweaty boy too, but but I'm not too. president of the United States. Yeah. I mean, if I was president of the United States and I had a whole bunch of... I, actually, I have been in a situation, though I still was not president of the United States, where I had spotlights and stuff put on me for like a reading Mm-mm. at a bookstore. And they weren't even like professional spotlights, right? Uh, they right. were just like lights i guess but yeah. i was i was sweating quite profusely oh well, we did the we did the live show for wtyp i was cooking up there dude <laughs> i was i was just like thank god i wore this in bead jersey because i am fucking cooking like <laughs> also just for the record i stole the party hardy's joke from american dad so don't think you one up to me in the comments you should have just owned it you gotta own that shit you, you no. insist that they stole it from you we we got in trouble for that remember yeah uh, <laughs> shut the fuck up they can cite this dick joe and they can cite your ball hernia it's not a ball hernia 
Joe has a ball hernia. He's just very embarrassed. We all feel bad for him. I wish a hernia on all of your balls instead of a pox in all of your houses. Whatever, dude. Listen, my balls are are fucking, dude. It's it's not even that hot out, and I'm just sitting in my own soup. So, like, it's not going to get significantly worse. Next time I get COVID, I'm going to cough into an envelope and mail it to you. And then I'll clone you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll have baby Joe Kasabian. Hopefully this one is not a Lions fan. Hopefully. I mean, that... This is the meanest thing my dad ever did was make me a Lions fan. <laughs> Sorry about your balls. <laughs> you and s- many other people. Dude's <laughs> fucking around in the jungle, sucking dick, being lost. <laughs> At this point, Lopez recalled Robles. Uh, How can he recall him? He doesn't know where he is. Well, he started figuring out where he was when he was setting everything on fire. He's like, well, he's oh, probably no, that Because my dude's a one, one, one guy wrecking machine. Yeah, saw right. something shiny. He was arrested as soon as he got back, as was his second command. And he was brought up on several charges. And Robles had worked with Solano Lopez long enough to know that I'm fucked. I'm not, like, I'm not even going to bother to defend myself. I know where this is going. He signed his own confession, which is effectively his own death warrant, because he knows where this is going, because he's charged with treason. Not a charge you escape from often. <laughs> he, uh, he signed the, the confession uh, with like a flourish, loudly said, goodbye, pen, and then like threw the pen off into the distance, lit a cigar, unaided walked out to the firing squad and smoked on that shit while he got shot. What else is there to do, man? I mean, he he absolutely went out like a king, uh, though he does have competition, namely his second in command. Now, he is a guy that was known for just being massive, just like a big, like a big fucking guy. Uh, he was rumored to wrestle alligators for fun. I don't know how true that is. It might be anecdotal, but he's a big like my kind of guy. My kind of guy. Yeah. I want to believe that this guy like gave alligators to Stone Cold Stunner or whatever on his whenever he was on leave. It took five volleys from the firing squad to fucking kill him, uh, which either he is the toughest guy to ever walk the earth or these guys cannot fucking shoot despite the fact they are 10 feet away. And after each volley, he picked himself up back to his feet and was like, all right, bro, let's go again. (laughs) (laughs) Flipping them off. (laughs) Unfortunately for him, they did not bring enough rounds for six volleys because they were on a firing the, squad. On the first one. Why would you need six bullets on a firing squad? Uh, so they had to like go up and stab him to death. Uh, which, yeah, Pussy clearly shit. much more effective. Clearly At much some more. Point, effective. Let him live. Like he, if you, if if a guy is alive past the first one, he gets off. We've talked about this before. We both strongly disagree with capital punishment. However, if capital punishment is going to exist and you attempt to murder someone and fail, that guy just get he doesn't only not he get just to be executed. He just gets to go home. Yeah, like fuck. God has this God has decided, I guess. Right. Now, the even dumber part of all of this was by Lopez killing his own general uh in his second command and pulling the army back. He had seated Corentus, which was the only thing he had managed to capture so far. And the Brazilian Navy had moved into the Piranha River, not that kind of piranha, uh, cutting off any resupply or reinforcement from uh, oh, the Piranha River and it's not named for the fish? Nah, no. Okay. Um, that makes sense. That makes fucking sense. 
So Robles's army uh, had been left behind when they pulled the commander to, you know, clap him for getting lost. Uh, and he had taken so much time killing their generals, which, and admittedly, he took a lot of time to kill the other one, that the Brazilian Navy was able to swoop in and cut that army off. Uh, and this became a huge problem. Like, we need those soldiers. We're fighting all of Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. I'm going to need those guys. Sure. In order to keep Robles' armies functioning, sans Robles, uh, he was going to have to break through the Brazilian Navy and keep the supply lines open, even though keeping supply lines open in the grand scheme of this war, as we will have discussed and will continue to discuss, is more of a vibe than a reality because there's no, there's no like logistics, there's no logisticians, uh, you know, commanding this war. It's still a bunch of guys uh, reading on history. World one, on that World War I Russia shit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Now, this is where I get to talk about the Chadas, which might be my favorite part of the war. Now, nine river boats would be ready to attack because remember, most of Paraguay's navy was not purposely built for naval combat. They were repurposed river boats and shit. Uh, they had one purpose built attack naval warfare craft, but sure. one uh, comparison to all of Brazil's isn't a, a good, it could match up. So in order to level the playing field here, because again, Lopez is dumb, but he's not dumb enough to know that like I don't have enough boats. Uh, so to level the playing field, each one of these nine riverboats would pull a canoe, which was called a chata, which carried 30 soldiers and a cannon. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, they had no method of moving themselves. They had no uh, like power plants. They'd had no oars. What? what? <laughs> Yeah, what, you uh, just you just float and hope. <laughs> you get towed by the riverboat. So their plan was to blow straight past the Brazilian Navy in the middle of the night. At which point they would be upriver. They would then release the canoes, which would then be taken downriver, propelled by the force of the river, where they could do drive-bys and then board the Brazilian Navy. This did not work out great. All right, all right. This this seems like the, a dumb enough plan to work. Let's do it. We'll tape, baby. Now, Lopez planned this whole thing himself before uh, handing over command to a guy named Captain Pedro Meza, who was a man who did not have a single day of military experience before now was not in the Navy. Okay. <laughs> Solid yeah. choice. Sounds like a winner. Let's do it. Lopez's plan hinged on surprise. Like I said, they couldn't charge balls deep directly like into the Brazilian Navy. more than surprise, Joe. Surprise, act of God, uh, you know, <laughs> why not both? He had to blow by the Brazilian Navy, get upriver, and then release the Chata. So, of course, you'd have to do this at night in the sure. darkness and then launch their attack. Doing this in daylight would simply not work. So this is where I get to tell you about how this happened during daylight hours. Okay. I was going to say this is like uh, parachuting the 101st into Normandy, but like way, way worse. It just make sure you do that as the sun is coming up. <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> Famously, the 101st landing in broad-ass daylight. Now, uh, where the Brazilian Navy was anchored, Lopez also hinged his plans, thinking that, all right, maybe this won't work. Uh, he sent a thousand men and some cannons to scale nearby cliffs on either side of the river uh, so they could attack right, point on hot. either Let's side. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they had been waiting there for days. Uh, so they were already out of like food and water and stuff. Okay. You know, this concept of surprise is immediately thrown out of the window by Meza, who was not the greatest commander. As soon as they started off, which they did start off 
in the darkness. One of the riverboats broke down. Meza probably could have carried on and maybe the plan would have worked. Maybe not. The plan seems very stupid as it is. But, you know, sometimes very stupid plans do work. Yeah, Day is not going well. I mean, sometimes stupid plans work, especially when, despite the fact Brazil clearly has uh, equipment superiorities, especially in regards to their Navy, they're not any more competent. Mm-hmm. So maybe it could have worked. I'm not going to say it would, but fuck it. Why not? Right? Dumber things will work during this war, I promise. That sounds like a threat. However, Meza was not exactly super comfortable with this. Remember what just happened. Robles got shot. So did his second right. command. So Meza was quite afraid of the idea of not listening to Lopez's orders to the T, right? He figured if he went off without the ship, boat, whatever, he would also be shot for disobeying an order. So he ordered the fleet to stop and they spent several hours trying to fix it. And the attack wasn't launched until 8 a.m. in broad daylight. Uh Uh-oh. Now... This rendered the entire concept of the operation pointless, but again, I can't disobey his order or call off the attack. I'll get fucking shot. So, off we go. Uh, This is considered so goddamn stupid that nearby civilians who saw... Because, I mean, it's a river. You can clearly... Like, civilians can see this shit happening from their backyard. Right. Nearby civilians went out to the the riverbank and said, quote, Heavens, those Paraguayans have balls. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hopefully they didn't have any hernias on those balls. Uh, maybe they did. It's not like they had... <laughs> Going off the medicine level that the military had, I'm, I don't have high hopes yeah, for the civilian doctors. No. Congratulations. You all have diphtheria. No, they're going to have more soon, uh, unfortunately. Riddled with holes disease. <laughs> I got what's known as terminal bullet cancer. <laughs> um, now, these chadas and their, their riverboats just start hauling ass towards the Brazilian Navy, which, of course, could clearly see them coming because um, it's, you know, 8 a.m. The element of surprise is gone, which means they can't just shoot right on past them. So the battle began as a drive by as the Brazilians were confused as to what the hell was going on. Like, it's one of those situations like they can't be this stupid, right? Wrong. <laughs> now, and the Brazilians took so long and that that shock of the moment to react that Really, the Paraguayan detachment was able to just get get right on by. Uh, the very little uh, crossfire going on, uh, more of the Paraguayans firing on the Brazilians as they ran to their ships and got ready to fight. Because remember, they're an anchor. There's only so much crew on them. Right. Here's the funny part. This plan accidentally worked. Now, you could cut loose the chadas what a plan accidentally comes together. Yeah. You could cut loose the chadas and attack the Navy as you were ordered to, or you can continue going straight down this river, which would take you to Buenos Aires, the capital of Argentina, who you're at war with. Right. So they stopped and uh, released their death canoes instead. I understand that like bombing Buenos Aires probably wouldn't have had that big of a tactical advantage by any means, especially with how underpowered these these river boats are. But, I mean, it would have been a pretty big middle finger. Aha! Pirate bombing! <laughs> <laughs> and more effective than what they're about to do. Oh. So they cut loose their death canoes. Now, at this point, crowds of civilians had formed on either side of the riverbanks as both navies were within eyeshot of their towns. But the Brazilian Navy finally turned around and began to chase the Paraguayans. People were starting to watch like a spectator sport and were cheering for their chosen sides. Then... 
the cannons that Lopez had stashed in the woods in the cliffs above opened fire on the Brazilian Navy, and the Paraguayan Navy began shooting as well. But now the Brazilians are moving downstream as they as they both were, right? Because they're both hurtling downriver at this point, um, which made them go about two times as fast and made their ships pretty much uncontrollable. And this goes for both sides. So the runaway riverboats slammed into one another and the Paraguayans took advantage of the situation by firing at point blank range. This was a problem. Remember, one of the things that they were supposed to do was board the Brazilian Navy because their Navy sucks. They also want to steal Brazilian ships, which, I mean, that's a much cheaper way of going out upgrading your Navy. Right. Remember how in episode two, they forgot the ladders? Yes. (laughs) They did that again. Oh. Nobody brought any grappling irons. Especially (laughs) well-prepared army, Navy, whatever. They didn't bring any boarding (laughs) nets. They didn't bring any grappling irons. Nothing. Which is a pretty big oversight when your plan is to board and attack a Navy. You would think that this is like, oh, well, we tried, guys. Time to go home. But they didn't. Instead, they're like, well, we have to still try to board the Brazilian Navy. So they just started flinging themselves at the enemy ships and grabbing onto anything that was hanging off. Sometimes one another. All right. Suicide pact and only but a goodie. Yeah. It was combat parkour. This worked kind of. Some people did get on board the Brazilian ships because uh, so many people threw themselves at it and eventually someone will stick. You know, it's throw enough shit to well see what sticks, but you did it with your Navy. Congrats. And they fought in hand to hand combat. And at one point, one of the Brazilian sharpshooters shot Captain Meza directly in the face. Um, but once some of the boarders got on the Brazilian naval ships, they were able to lash them together like ad hoc with ropes and stuff. Mm-hmm. which is not part of the original plan because they were supposed to have like ladders to get there. But now the ships were lashed together in the middle of goddamn river current, which is quite strong. So the boats began just slamming together over and over and yes. over again. Yes. With men crawling up the side of it. So you're just like, Boink! oh, there goes a sailor. <laughs> like every, every, every time out, like I a like strong sound effect there. <laughs> Boink! Like every time a strong fucking wave hit or a strong like piece a uh, bit of current hit, the boats would slam together and kill a couple more dudes or send them flying off into the river where they would drown. Now, this led another glaring problem that they were quickly about to discover within the Paraguayan Navy. Like I pointed out, none of their boats are, are built for naval combat minus one. That meant all of the Brazilian ships that were built for combat were taller than them. They had protected boilers, stuff like that. But in this case, the height is a pretty big problem because that means they could fire directly down onto the Paraguayan ships, which is what they did. And in comparison, where the Brazilians were built or modified for war with protected boilers, higher guns, the Paraguayans weren't. Their boilers were completely unprotected. And these are all steamships and having an unprotected boiler when you're shooting cannons at one another is not fucking good. Wait, wait, Joe. (laughs) So, of course, one of the Paraguayan ships saw its end when a boiler exploded from gunfire, resulting in a rush of boiling water, burning a large amount of its crew alive. Oh, that'll do it. (laughs) by 4 30 p.m the paraguayan navy lay mostly in ruins and partially melted while the crew that were still alive swam for the shore whoops 
Now, you remember Captain Robles from earlier, the guy that got got for getting lost? Well, his brother was captain of one of the Paraguayan ships and had been right next to a boiler when it exploded in his face. So now he looks like fucking Harvey Dent. Oh. He looks something that resembled loosely like pulled pork. Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) He got pulled from the water by the Brazilians uh, because they generally, at this point of the war at least, were like, hey, we should probably take care of the wounded or whatever. And they started giving him first aid, and he woke up all of a sudden because he was in shock from being burned and then thrown into the water. Understandably. Yeah, and when he woke up, he loudly declared that he would rather die than accept medical care from the enemy, and then he died. Oh, well, got your wish. (laughs) You proved them right, boy. Well done. (sighs) Soldiers never change, man. (laughs) Honor doesn't do you very good when you're dead. No. What is it? Go ask a trillion souls if honor matters. Yeah. Now, as the ships limp back to port, Lopez was there to see the whole thing or what was left of them limped back to port while furious so much so that he shot a sailor. Well, he ordered a sailor shot. Lopez didn't shoot him. He accused of cowardice completely at random. He's just like you there with the face. Fucking coward. Oh, okay. I I just got here, man. Uh, come on, man. You have any idea how many like ships I had to climb up? We'd even bring <laughs> ladders <laughs> because of you. <laughs> A boiler exploded, melted my fucking ass off. But after he did that, he championed the Navy for their victory, which he ma- then made up. Now, people think that he was trying to spin this for the newspaper, for the home front, for the news, whatever. Oh, sure. Everyone around him seems to believe that they actually won, despite failing in every meaningful, objective way. Turns out you can just say whatever you want and say it's a victory. When you're a bloodthirsty despot, you can just do whatever you want. That's handy. And because people were worried if Lopez heard anything otherwise, it would be them next on the wall. So when the wounded made it back to Paraguay to medical care, whatever, they were told, like, don't say anything. Don't don't fucking say shit about what happened. (laughs) Like, do not tell anybody. Meanwhile, back with Estegaribe at the Rio Grande do Sul invasion force, he was able to cross the river and walk right into Brazil. Because like we had pointed out before, most of Brazil undefended. It's, you know, frontier. The government's pretty not great when it comes to... (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, admittedly... In the grand scheme of things, if you're Brazil, like, okay, so this one army came in, really, what are they going to do? Are they going right. to fucking march to the goddamn east? I doubt it, right? Right. And he marched straight into the town of Sao Borja and uh, still hardly ran into any defenders. Uh, and there were a few in the town. They took a couple shots. And when realized that, oh, this army actually means it, the defenders ran off. So happy with their victory. Estegriba's force took the next 10 days to thoroughly loot the town, which is what they do everywhere they go. Um, that, I mean, that's their supply system is like tearing down Fortune, everything that is yeah. nailed up, you know, and then eating it. We've all been there. We've all been hungry boys. Yeah. Uh, during this looting, Estegriba set a Captain Lopez, no relation, uh, to scout ahead for their next target. But while the captain was gone, Estegriba decided to leave Sao Borja without ever sending him a letter, message, anything that shit has changed. He took the entire army south. So then Captain Lopez returned a few days later. He's like, oh, shit. Where is everybody? And he rushed to catch up. Guys. 
Now, you're probably wondering, how did he find where Estegribe went? Yes. Um, you know, like leaving breadcrumbs in the woods or whatever? Sure. He kind of did that, but with dead people. Now, <laughs> everywhere his army went, he left behind a trail of like loot, dead farm animals, and the occasional corpse that would just like you know drop dead from illness. A right. lot of draft animals were dying, so he was like, "Oh, we'll just follow the trail of human misery." Now, as he went, he found the trail where the main army had taken, and that was very easy to find. Sick and dying men were all over. Horses were keeled over from exhaustion and discarded equipment marked the entire way. Because as it was getting hotter and weather was getting worse, people were literally just throwing off their uniforms. There was people just marching around naked, even barefoot still, which They're sounds like naked. The, hey, yeah. it's a it's a premonition. They're just missing the clown wigs. Now, <laughs> as they marched down the trail, up the hills and the mountains, and through the stifling heat and humidity, all with little water and no food, because when they went out, when Captain Lopez's detachment went out, they had, were looting. Their, their goal was to bring supplies back into Sao Borja. But then when they saw that the main army was gone, they dumped everything and ran off after it. So without all of their loot, they're fucked. It's not like they could like, oh, let me open my fucking MRE real quick. Like this army was so right. fucked. They didn't even have like hardtack. <laughs> so, oh, dear. They didn't have anything. And I mean, there's plenty of water in the area, but it's all contaminated, which of course leads men to drink it, get sick and die or drink it, get so weak they can't march and then be left to die. So this meant people and draft animals are dropping left and right and would just be left behind, adding to the pile of dead and dying along the trail. Then Captain Lopez and his men had to wade through a chest high flooded meadow. Uh, These are really common. In like the general warrior, there's a very specific Spanish word for them that I can simply not pronounce, and I'm not going to attempt to, but it rains a lot, and these meadows flood bad, like waist-high water, almost like swamps. And through every battle, it's like a known terrain feature that everybody has to pull their ass through. It sucks. People lose equipment in it, men drowned in them. And he's wading through this flooded meadow. And as they were doing so, they were ambushed by a Brazilian force that had just been chased off by Estagariba's main army. Okay. The force outnumbered Lopez three to one, uh, but using action movie logic for some reason and, and telling oh, no. how incompetent the command structure of these armies was at the time, the Brazilians sallied out of their hiding spots like one detachment at a time. Why? I think it's because they, their overall command structure is just broken. They have no good runner system put in place. There's really no command and control. Because uh, remember, their, their officers are very badly trained. Sure. So like outside of immediate vicinity detachments, they have no uh, strength of command. They don't know how okay. to. No small unit leadership. You got to get that small unit leadership. I think they have small unit leadership, possibly, but anything above that's outside of their, their ability. Yeah. Unit leadership. It's kind of like how, you know, we talked about before in previous episodes where, you know, some armies had never done any large scale training missions at any point. So, like, you have a brigade or battalion commander or hell, a division commander who has no idea how to command a unit that he's in charge of. (laughs) So you have all of these different officers polling against you and you have no you have no idea how to keep them in line. Not to mention all the confusion that happens when, you know, people start firing muskets at one another. At this point, Lopez is holding okay because you know the Brazilians are attacking him one bayonet charge at a time. Because, as of course we've talked about before, 
bayonets weren't really the point. Your goal wasn't to kill people with a bayonet. Um, your goal was to take the field. You fire a couple shots at them. You charge, take the field. They run off. You're not hoping to spear 80 fucking people to death or whatever. But they fired a couple shots, like a volley or two, then charged at Lopez. And each time he would fight them back because when they split up like that, they were very easily handled. And they completely negated their own advantages. And this turned into the Battle of uh, Butuhui. Sorry. And this is the real first pitched battle of the war. Said it wrong. I'm sure I'm right. Flawless. I speak perfect Spanish. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Lopez got his men in an orderly infantry line and easily fended off these piecemeal attacks until the Brazilian Colonel Lima remembered, oh, wait, I have cavalry. What the fuck am I doing? So he simply sent the cavalry to sweep around the flank as they were attacking. And that worked. That ended up being all that he needed to do, despite the fact this took several hours for him to remember. (laughs) And so this chased the Paraguayan force off to the bushes, which they left behind 200 dead men. Now, this virtually eliminated Lopez as a threat. Sure. And despite having cavalry and manpower advantage, Lima just allowed Lopez and his men to get away. The survivors, of course, rejoining Estagriba and making the victory completely meaningless. They could have just run them down with cavalry, but they didn't. And that's something that will happen continuously throughout this war. Is like it's it's almost like at Gettysburg, where it was like well, they could have just chased down Lee and ended the war. I'm like, yeah, but they they kind of suck at their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> this certainly wouldn't have ended the war, but it would have killed a lot of Paraguayan soldiers, and they just let them get away. Now, as if to underline how meaningless this victory was, immediately afterwards, a Paraguayan force under Estegriba's second command, Pedro Duarte, simply like marched into the town of La Cruz and took it without a fight. So, like again, they, the Brazilians took the field, didn't amount to much. To fight against this, the Allies did nothing. They didn't really have to. Both the governments of Argentina and Brazil, and of course the government of Uruguay, but not really mattering too much to its status as a glorified Brazilian puppet, didn't give a single fuck about any of the movements that Paraguay was doing. Even the riverboat clusterfuck simply told them that their blockade was working because Paraguay is getting desperate to try to launch fucking canoe-borne attacks at them. As for the invasion of Brazil, Brazil, like I said, didn't care. They knew that to hit anything of note and to really hurt Brazil, they would have to march and fight through thousands of miles of nothingness, dying of disease, environmental hazards, whatever, to get at anything. So let, let it, they're like, all right, let them go. Let's see how far they go. Bye. <laughs> and while they were doing that, the allies could finish mobilizing because they hadn't yet. Even if Argentina's component of the Allied army was busy tearing itself apart amongst political lines, which they did with the occasional mutiny, they still needed time to get everything together. Soon the Allied army set out for Pasos de, Pasos de los Libres. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I'm trying. Fucking Sorry. trying here. <laughs> Sorry. And that is when things got worse. They still hadn't bothered to work out the kinks in their supply or movement problems. Don't make me tap the logistics sign here. Someone made a meme about this because of me. Another thing is moving a large armed force together as one is very hard to do. It takes that span of control and like effective command of large units, small units, and their ability to speak to one another. 
had no idea how to do any of that. So units are just getting separated. There were no roads, no quartermasters, no nothing. The pack animals they did have quickly died because nobody brought anything for them to fucking eat. Oh, well, that's why you eat the pack animals, dude. I mean, I understand it's this this circle of life within the ranks of the military, but like some militaries did bring livestock with them to kill when they were hungry, but you still have to feed them before that point comes. These were draft animals. They're carrying cannons. They're carrying artillery. They're carrying ammo, all the heavy shit that you don't want your soldiers carrying because when you're emaciated soldiers with no fucking boots are dragging cannons through the jungle for eight months or whatever. They're going to fucking die. You need a donkey or a horse to do that shit. (laughs) So you need to feed your animals so your men don't die. And they didn't even do like, and I can just imagine at some point they're like, I don't know, mile 150 or something. They're like, Hey man, uh, did you bring the animal feed? Like the what? Oh, fuck. (laughs) Cause It's not like they could go forage for food. And we talked about this during our series on Napoleon's invasion of Russia. An army is incredibly destructive when it moves through an area. By the time it moves through an area, there's like it kills everything there. Like whether they're stomping everything down, picking it clean, just breaking through it as they walk to make room for things. So like after you go through an area, there's really not a whole lot for a pack animal to eat. You have to bring your own shit. Napoleon learned that too, <laughs> which right, right. I should point out was several decades before this. Yeah. Don't use guys. Don't, I, I don't know why we have to say this. Like, oh, we're, we're out of horses. Uh, strap Jim, Bomb, and Robert to the fucking cart. Let's see what happens. <laughs> All right. Work those glutes, boys. <laughs> we are getting to Brazil. Also, there wasn't enough carts. And even before the pack animals what are they died. What supposed to use? Are they just <laughs> carrying it? Your Chevrolet legs. <laughs> and even before the pack animals started dying they didn't even have enough of those they no one even brought enough fucking uniforms the uruguayan soldiers had never even been issued saves weight saves weight saves weight saves weight they had been been waiting three months for boots (laughs) i don't even want to think about the kinds of diseases these dudes are getting all of them (laughs) yeah can you imagine going going to like one of those intake facilities and they're like, do you have a family history of just and just a big check mark? You just turn in a pa- piece of paper, that big green check mark. From the top of the page to the bottom of the page. <laughs> and like, you know, that episode of The Simpsons with all the little things going through the door to explain how Mr. Burns isn't getting sick. Yes. It's like that, except all of those diseases are a fucking SWAT team and they kick open the door and flashbang your family. You have diphtheria and sepsis and cholera. (laughs) And we won't discover it for another 90 years, but you have HIV. Not to mention all of the problems that come with bros camping in the in the fucking jungle in the tens of thousands in the 1800s. Joe, but all of also the harshness of the environment. They're in the fucking they're in the fucking jungle. Walking around barefoot, like it was mentioned multiple times. Spiders like, the size of dinner plates. Oh, we haven't gotten to that part yet. Fuck my <laughs> ass. <laughs> but like these guys are marching like, oh, uh, private so-and-so stepped on a, a particularly sharp stick. His foot rotted off and he died. Like, oh, chalk another one up. Oh, and the people that did get uniforms issued to them 
They were so cheaply and badly made, they immediately chafed their body so badly that when they got wet, which was all the time, they're always wet from sweat or rain or whatever, they marched without their pants on because they were chasing chasing them so badly. It was like making them bleed. So everybody's marching around in Donald Duck uniform. (laughs) (laughs) This is Woody the Pooh Battalion. (laughs) Not to mention at night, it might be the jungle, but this is the same thing kind of had like shocked people in the Middle East where it gets so fucking hot during the day. But at night, the temperature drops and people were dying of hypothermia. Oh, and then in the middle of the night, deserters were like, fuck this. We're out of here. And they would run off into the jungle half naked and shoeless. Sure. That sucks. Behind this parade of human misery came the camp followers, which we've talked about before in other wars, but they're kind of what make the army of this period tick. They're tailors, cobblers, cooks, sex workers, whatever. They keep the army functioning, and they're the most functional supply line that they had. Uh, I mean, granted, they did it by grifting the shit out of the military. Like, hey, I have bread. It's now four times the amount of the cost it would be in the civilian market. So that's just like, you know, yield Halliburton. (laughs) And probably the most important thing, too, the soldiers were all the sex workers. And like officers joke that the sex workers were tougher than their soldiers, which upon like actually being true, uh, like one of them said that one of them dipped out of the column of marching because the camp followers are following them like they're intermixed and they just like stopped off on the side of the road, gave fucking birth, wrapped that kid up in a rag and then just like marched along with them within the hour. God <laughs> right. damn, dude. <laughs> Another child for the army. <laughs> that's another mouth to feed get it <laughs> strap this fucker to the to the cart he's got a cannon to pull <laughs> yeah, he's got legs let's do this time to learn to walk baby <laughs> how many horsepower do a dozen infants have <laughs> now as all of this is going on the paraguayans army was marching south lopez the president this time because there's so many that we've already talked about i want to solano lopez uh, had given strict orders for this force to go no further than the Abiquí River. The reason for that is quite uh, like you're going to outrun us. We can't supply you. You're easy to cut off on the other side of the river, as we've already discovered. Estegriba simply ignored him, assuming, well, eventually I'm going to have to cross this river. I might as well do it now because there's no Brazilian soldiers around it. I can cross it unopposed. And he did, though it took him a couple of days. And he found the other side of that river, likewise devoid of enemy soldiers. Because, again, (laughs) Brazil's tactic is to make you invade Brazil. (laughs) Right. So much so that he wrote to Lopez saying, quote, We seem to be marching through territory where the constitution of Paraguay already holds sway because nobody was opposing him. Yeah, you can see where this is going to lead to bad places. Soon he walked into the town of Uruguayana. And despite its name, it's in Brazil. Uh, Also unopposed. Even weirder than that, the town was stocked full of food and supplies, as well as fresh trenches had been dug all around it to withstand a siege. Now, the Brazilians had known that he was coming vaguely, and they assumed that this is going to be the place they're going to make their stand. And the Brazilian commander, Canabaro, changed his mind at the last second and then fucked off, leaving everything behind, not knowing that Estegriba was so close behind him. And he just walked right into this defensible and suppliable situation. 
Eventually, the Ford Paraguayan forces under Duarte made it to the outskirts of Pasos de los Libres and began looting the countryside for every farm animal that he could get his hands on. He asked Estegribe for reinforcements, which were promptly denied. Not for any tactical reason, mind you, but because the two men fucking hated one another and he wanted him to die. <laughs> which, sure. I love that like personal beefs can get so bad you're willing to sacrifice an entire military operation just to spite a guy. I don't know if I've ever hated anybody that much, but Fuck I can respect that, it. dude. Like, okay, General Estegribe, could you uh, explain to me, uh, President Solano Lopez, why you did not reinforce your own second in command? Welcome right in his dumb face. <laughs> he Fuck sucks. That guy, that's why. Ah, okay. Tactically wise decision. Now, when Duarte pointed out that he only had 4,000 men... And the main allied army of 12,000 was headed his way. The boss responded with a pretty much, that sounds more like a you problem. <laughs> like, he didn't say it quite like that, but he's like, well, that sounds like something for you to handle. <laughs> like, sure. Bro, come on. Now, if that wasn't dumb enough, Duarte arranged his men with their backs and right flanks to the river and their left to one of those flooded valleys when they arranged for battle, meaning... He gave them no way to retreat. Now, I can assume he did this to motivate his men. Like, hey, there's no way fucking out of this battle. It's either we win or we die. That's me giving him the best possible analysis I can think of. Oh, and also you can get rid of that part. Because right in front of him was a hill. He positioned himself surrounded on three sides by environmental barriers and on the low ground. Oh, 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 classic blunder. This is something so stupid. I don't think a 13-year-old playing a Total War game would do. I but do the, <laughs> I'm but not very good at Total This War. guy fucking did it. Uh, for people who are not military nerds, you never want to see the high ground, especially in the age of powder muskets. <laughs> like It's bad fucking. Dis- you don't want to do it now. You certainly didn't want to do it then. Yeah, you could feasibly say he put himself in a corner for motivational reasons and then put himself on the downslope of a hill because he just really hates his own soldiers. I don't know. Rather than electing to set up on top of the hill. I don't know. He could have done that and still cornered himself. But whatever. He fucked himself. Hence started the Battle of Yate. Immediately, the Allied army saw these really good advantages that Duarte had just given them out of the kindness of his heart. And they around themselves on top of the hill and just started shooting them uh, like thanks buddy and just started shooting the piss out of them and Duarte had no artillery and had trapped himself so it's not like he can maneuver he can't maneuver his army out of a corner and he has no heavy or even light cannon to shoot back his only advantage was that the allied army could not control itself the Uruguayan detachment on the allied side just would not follow orders specifically because it would have been really easy for the Allies to simply post up on there and shoot them constantly until the battle is over. Instead, the Uruguayans kept charging in. The overall commander of the force was an Argentinian. Uh, Argentine? I'm not sure. Is it Argentinian or Argentine? I think it's Argentine. Argentine. I'll go with Argentine. Argentine, it- I've heard? I don't know. Argentine. Uh, I feel not fancy enough to pronounce it that way, which by that I mean correct. Uh, <laughs> now, the Argentine force uh, was led by uh, General Punero, uh, and he planned to simply sit back and shoot them and use their light cannons to shell the hell out of them until they surrender or all die, probably surrender. But Uruguayan infantry kept running and kept charging into battle. <laughs> Hilariously oh, enough, they're under the command of the president of Uruguay, Flores. <laughs> Lord fucking Steve, yes. 
And the thing is, is when he started charging, other units charging. one at a time. Yeah, because you got to, right? A lot of the times, uh, a lot of military units in wars like this didn't actually get past a specific order. In lieu of an order, simply follow the guy in front of you. I mean, you line up in a line and fucking blast each other in the face at 50 paces or whatever and might as well follow them. So when people saw the Uruguayans running into battle, like, oh, fuck, I guess we're charging. And they joined in. So before long, Monero lost total command of anything. And it was a complete chaotic mess. Duarte ordered his cavalry to charge out of hiding where it had been sitting off to the left of the line. Now, due to the total chaos of the allied line and complete breakdown of command, they were actually almost able to break through and kill President Flores, which is not the last time I'm going to say that President Flores almost dies because of his own incompetence. Yeah, this guy seems to uh, I don't know, get lucky, I guess is the phrase. I don't have a lot of faith in him, I'll say. No, I wouldn't. And eventually, when he did damn near die, one of the cavalrymen ran up alongside of him and took a swipe at him with the sword and hit him. However, he hit them with the flat side of his sword, on, I assume, on accident. Nobody's going to do that shit on purpose. <laughs> Tactical bonk. <laughs> the horny jail with you. Yeah. Now, the funniest part is somehow the Paraguayans were still holding because despite all of their flaws... Rank-and-file Paraguayan soldiers were much more disciplined than the Allied forces. So, despite being badly outnumbered by like three to one and being charged at by all sides down a hill and pinned into a corner, they held the ranks and disciplined and like delivered disciplined fire onto the oncoming allies. But another problem is, is because of all of these different units in the Allied army were acting effectively independently, Duarte really couldn't like think of what was going to happen next. He was fighting right. like six different armies all working on their own. <laughs> I just want to go home. The overall chaos and sheer weight of numbers finally broke Duarte's army and uh, they had nowhere to go. Their only escape was through the flooded area behind them or the river, but at best, the best case scenario was still chest deep. So they sloshed against a fetid pond as horsemen rode them down. Others attempted to swim across the river just to drown, and before long, Duarte's entire army was dead, or at least captured. Duarte himself was captured, and a lot of the surviving POWs were forced to join the Uruguayan army. (laughs) When given the choice, like, hey, you can enlist in this army or get shot, like, where do I sign? Now, fair enough. after this, Esagribe's forces besieged at Uruguayana. Though the march there was slowed down by most of the entire Uruguayan army being riddled with typhus, and uh, it's thought that they did this by eating diseased beef. <laughs> oh, what a way to go, man. It's, it's easy. You, you simply eat around the rot. It's fine. It's like mold on bread. Just pick it off. Yeah, except it's rotten meat. You'll be fine. Because remember, we talked about, I believe, in the last episode, Uruguayans are effectively eating the trash of the other two allied armies because they hated them. So on their march to Uruguayana, they're eating the Argentine and Brazilian discarded food refuse and getting sick from it. Mm, Though this seconds, it's second harvest. (laughs) You guys heard about dark lunch? (laughs) No, it could also be caused from the sheer amount of death in their camp because like there's so many dead livestock and horses just dropping down their camp. And because they had no other food, they ate them. So, yeah, not good. Uh, And at this point, so many horses had died from malnutrition or disease that the entire Allied cavalry force is forced to dismount. 
So they've defeated their own cavalry. Well done. Outstanding work, boys. As the allies shelled the town, the river flooded behind them, turning their camp into a swamp. Then the wind picked up fast enough to snatch away amidst tents. And if being diseased and homeless wasn't bad enough, the joint allied command structure started disagreeing with one another, which then made their camp devolve into a a cluster of bitching and moaning as nobody wanted to listen to one another anymore. Now, according to the Treaty of the Triple Alliance, the Allied commander was supposed to be from wherever the land army was currently marching on, that being Argentina, Brazil, probably not Uruguay. I'm going to assume they wouldn't have given command to Flores. (laughs) But the army was now in Brazil, so command should have passed from the Argentine president, Mitterre, to the Brazilian commander, but Mitter simply refused. He didn't want to. Understandable. This led to arguments that you could probably foresee coming looking at that kind of agreement. Each faction of the army argued over what they should do with the Paraguayan defenders. The Brazilians pointed out defenders only had about supplies for a month. After all, they should know they put them there. So they should just wait them out. Like, fewer casualties will hang out here in the jungle and let them starve themselves out. Now, this discounts the fact that their army was also dying in the field, more from disease and malnourishment and accidents than the enemy fire, but whatever. The Paraguayans defending and their commander Estegribe intended on holding out. He did not intend on surrendering, but he had kind of fucked himself. By crossing the river without orders, he'd cut off his own line of communications and resupply. And all of his messengers that he sent out to make contact with Solano Lopez were captured. Not a single word was heard from his army within Paraguay for 40 days. So nobody knew what was happening to them. So nobody was sending any help because they had no idea what was going on. They were busy getting their shit rocked. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, eventually, the Brazilian tactics did work. The Paraguayans surrendered in the middle of September after they had long run out of food. The soldiers Mm -hmm. who finally came out of town horrified the allies, sick, dying, and reduced the skin and bones. Though they still held on to their loot and were pissed drunk, which respect. What other way is there to be? You know, <laughs> I may have not eaten in three weeks, but I still have this piano. <laughs> what way is left? <laughs> what is the caloric intake of a fur jacket? <laughs> you guys see how many babies we got drunk? <laughs> One allied officer said, quote, it was the most comical, if not the most abject scene that South America has ever witnessed. That sounds about right. Yeah. Of his once 12,000 man army, only 5,000 had survived long enough to surrender. The invasion of Brazil and Argentina, for that matter, was a complete and total failure, leading to a 30,000 man army under the command of Resquin evacuated, making his way back to Paraguay rather than continue to fight it. Now, Soon, talk of invading Paraguay was paramount among the allies because they're like, okay, well, they're gone. See how they like it. (laughs) Solano Lopez doesn't seem too keen on surrendering, so uh, we might have to invade them. We're going to smoke them out, boys. But, I mean, this is deeply, deeply unpopular, uh, mostly because to them, it seemed impossible. I mean, for, for one, just moving the allied army 350 miles through Brazil took three months None of the problems that we've already talked about had been fixed, and they'd only gotten worse because their army continued to grow larger and move farther away from its home. For instance, when the Brazilian First Corps marched just five miles, the corps disintegrated, leaving behind Ow! 600 muskets, 600 cartridge bags, 300 rucksacks, and countless other things. You just incompetent fucks. 
just hemorrhaging equipment. Like this is more equipment than like than like the Uruguayan military has. Remember, those guys still don't have fucking boots. Saves weight, Joe. <laughs> Another Argentine army marched for one day and had to be sidelined for nine days just so officers could try to figure out where all their fucking soldiers went. Good old one on nine off, an effective way to move. You know what? I'm fine with the schedule. I want that work schedule for me when I was in the army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I worked my one day. I'll see you in a week and a half, suckers. DUIing your way out of the motor pool. Yes. <laughs> this is the part where I get to say, wait, it gets worse. I said the thing. Congratulations, Joe. It's the first time I've said it this episode, and we've already been going an hour. Mm, I'm proud of you. Dozens of soldiers were killed by wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spiders the size of dinner plates. Like, I've never been to the jungles of South America, but I've heard some things, and it's certainly not the place I'd want to go wandering through in a military column. Especially without boots. Especially without fucking boots or food or anything else. In one case, a fucking jaguar killed two Argentinian soldiers wow, and dragged them sucks. off into the jungle to eat them. How do you even like... Couldn't be me. It's like a platoon commander taking a roll call in the morning like, Lopez, jaguar, fuck. <laughs> uh, Carlos, jaguar, god damn it. I want to go home. Others fell victims to snakes and spiders. And even like the people who didn't randomly get taken out by what seems like weaponized Australia, there were still all of the fucking mosquitoes. You repeat yourself. The worst and biggest threat that they had were mosquitoes. I mean, that sounds very stupid until I point out the fact that holy shit, so much malaria. Yeah. Just, just so much malaria. Everyone had lice. And 50% of the soldiers that got malaria died. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, they they lacked any means of controlling the malaria. They had no anti-malarial drugs. And if someone got sick, they just got ditched on the side of the road. Understandable. Not cool, but understandable. Yeah. Even as the Allied Army positioned itself for their invasion in January of 1866, their camps rapidly began to fill with the dead and the dying. Though the Uruguayans had finally gotten their boots. It's been a year. (laughs) <laughs> like my feet are nothing but a brick of callus. Why do I need these now? And like their uniforms that they were wearing, like the clothes that they had brought with them had literally rotted off their backs by now from all the humidity and shit. Ugh. Now if that seems bad. Wait until you see what's been happening in Paraguay, not just the military, but the entire country on top of their combat losses. Their men were also being ravaged by disease since the war had begun 35, thousand of them had died most of them from an epidemic of smallpox and measles that ran uncontrolled through the ranks no thank you now when you get sick like that when you get injured sick etc what do you think the military does to you they send you back home which meant they then brought this epidemic into the civilian population which then it burned straight through they had virtually no doctors no supplies, and resorted to trying to cure this shit with wine, sugar, and boiled meat. It's generally what's known as the British protocol. Um, No, it didn't work. Of course it didn't fucking work. You can't cure typhus and smallpox with boiled meat. That's not how anything works. (laughs) Imagine you're dying in a hospital with smallpox and they're like, hello friend, I've boiled you some British food. Enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. 
Lopez introduced another round of conscription, struggling to maintain a force on paper of 30,000 or more. The French minister to Paraguay noted that many of these kids, kids were as young as 14. They had not been issued uniforms, tents, or even boots, and he had burned through the kids. He began to arm state-owned slaves, which were also a thing, and Uh-oh. no freedom was not promised to them. Uh-oh. After he burned through them, he then drafted the, quote, infirm and lame. Many were missing fingers, toes, or entire limbs. Virtually everyone being recruited at this point was terribly weak, disabled from sickness, disease, or malnutrition, or were half already dead from the incoming endemic within the civilian population. All right, we got the A team. Like, you could see how this is a feedback loop. Yes. Uh, he he's created a situation where it's like you've just created like a combustion engine for your entire population. You're feeding them in for more fucking horsepower, but you're putting in shitty gasoline. Some of these people were so weak for various different reasons or so small or so disabled that they couldn't even pick up their muskets. Originally, the plan was to feed the military and civilian population with the nearly 100,000 cattle that they had stolen from their invasion and had made their way back to Paraguay. However, someone fed these guys the wrong kind of grass and they all died. So you can add waves of starvation on top of everything else. Now, the public mood began to shift against the war for pretty obvious reasons. So Lopez introduced a good old fashioned reign of terror. He thought spies were everywhere and the nation's prisons were emptied out and public executions became a daily occurrence. Anyone who even so much as thought something bad about the war and someone heard about it, they found themselves against the wall. Of course, this is a bit of a cell phone because these were all people he could have recruited. Right. Lopez also then went out to the front line, which was separated by a river to observe the enemy with a telescope. Oh, dear. At this point, this is very much a frozen conflict. Like the allies had not yet invaded Paraguay yet. Oh, let it go. (laughs) Boo. Oh, I thought you liked that. Though, to be fair, if someone had else's powers, this would probably end a lot faster. Have you seen Frozen? No. <laughs> actually a decent movie. Uh, the most I've ever seen of it is that, I think. Uh, like The war was stuck because the Allies lacked the ability and will to invade Paraguay, and Paraguay certainly lacked the ability to reinvade them. So they were stuck on this, on this river staring at each other. Lopez insisted to all of the officers around him that the Allied force on the other side of the river was mocking him. So naturally, he demanded his forces assault their positions immediately, despite being outnumbered, it being broad daylight, and most of his soldiers being half dead. Hundreds of Paraguayan soldiers packed themselves into canoes and attempted to cross the river to attack. They were immediately shot to hell. Clutching his world's smartest general mug. World's smartest marshal. Remember, he promoted himself. Right. Golden sword and all. Um, Now, when that wave failed, another one was sent in. And then another. And then another. And this happened until Lopez finally got bored and left the front line and people had to stop dying. Ah. Things remained this way for months. The Allies were dragging their heels, planning an invasion that they really didn't want to do. But one of the main problems was the river itself. During the season they found themselves in, the rivers were only 12 feet deep. And if they were going to ferry men across, the Brazilian Navy would need like 13 feet minimum to cross the river safely and not like ground themselves. That meant they had to wait to be able to uh, transport their own armies across the river. 
Another problem was the Brazilian naval commander who really didn't want to use his ships for this and put them at risk. So he purposely planned very slowly, hoping the Allies wouldn't want to use them in the end. He was kind of hoping to delay long enough until any invasion got canceled. When the Brazilian fleet finally made an appearance, the Paraguayans launched guerrilla canoe warfare on the fleet, firing on them and then (laughs) jumping into the water and swimming away when the Brazilians tried to fire back. Now, the canoe warfare, while cool as hell, didn't really do anything to slow the invasion preparation, but it did make everyone really, really mad. So that's something. Hey. Slowly, the first signs of the invasion began as Allied forces began taking Paraguayan river fortresses that dotted the landscape, which there's quite a few of them. Most of them were very, very antiquated, kind of like the concept of a fortress itself at this point, honestly. Mm-hmm. Lopez refused to allow any of these to fall without a fight or authorize a surrender, or authorize retreat. Lopez ordered the area around the Itapiru fortress to be fortified with thousands of men, guns, and trenches for a coming invasion, which was still going at a snail's pace. Mm-hmm. For an example, the entire Brazilian contingent of the invasion had to be delayed because they discovered their newest soldiers had actually been issued ammo that would not work in their muskets. Well, that's a sad work, gentlemen. Whoops. And Mitaire, who was still an overall allied commander, had no maps. Uh, so, you know, all, all things you got to work through. Then at the last minute, on April 16th, 1886, the allies invaded Paraguay with only two full days of tactical planning, choosing an area a few miles down the river at Trace Boca, where Lopez had not built any defenses at all. They landed in a vast flooded swamp unopposed, and Lopez ordered the fortifications at Itapiro to be abandoned, which I'm sure pissed off all of the soldiers who just spent all of that time digging them. Outstanding work. You idiots. Though Lopez might not have fought the Brazilians at Itapiro, other Brazilians did on accident. After making their way through the flooded enemy trenches, soldiers heard something in the night and opened fire. This slowly grew into a pitched battle where nobody could see the other person and were instead just firing at muzzle flashes in the dark. After a few hours of shooting, someone managed to get the situation under control and figured out that two different Brazilian army units had bumped into one another in the night and started shooting at one another. Dozens were dead. <laughs> yep. You did it, boys. You you opposed your own amphibious landing. Congratulations, morons. I would say that was the first time someone had ever opposed their own amphibious landing, but we've already talked about the Aleutian campaigns. <laughs> Just terrific work. The next Paraguayan garrison at Passos de la Patria fell without a fight. Lopez decided the position was too vulnerable and simply rode off into the night without telling anybody, not even his aides or mistresses who he all left behind. Only once the next camp did he tell General Resquin to destroy everything and retreat. They were going to move to a more defensible area. As the Paraguayans burned their own camp and ran away to keep up with the president, someone looted his own personal belongings along the way. Yes. <laughs> I hope that guy made off with some baller shit. shit. I don't know what he changed, stole. baby. <laughs> some private wandering into the camp with like a million dollar Baby necklace and yeah <laughs> like damn that guy who doesn't have boots looks fly as hell <laughs> looking like the thrift shop video by vacklemore <laughs> <laughs> the next paraguayan strong point was picked to be built next to a swampy area next to a stream called the estero bellico and Lopez sent around 3,000 soldiers off into the surrounding swamps to slow down the invading vanguard, which was mostly made up of Uruguayan soldiers. These were the easiest targets of the Allied army, and even the other allies had been robbing them at this point, leaving them little in the way of ammunition. Uh-oh. One of the ambushes turned into the so-called Battle of Estero Bellico. Now, 
This is probably one of the dumbest things that happens during the war. Paraguayan Colonel Diaz had set a trap using a combined force of cavalry and infantry to ambush the coming Uruguayan vanguard force. Now, as the Uruguayans are marching, they heard someone off in the jungle going, Viva! Viva! (laughs) Over and over and over again, as Colonel Diaz kept chanting Viva to get his men motivated for the ambush. His men then echoed his Viva! So... They're like, hey, look at those assholes in the jungle. And then you the battle dumb started. Fox. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. Now, with their surprise ruined, it turned into a pitch battle where, again, President Flores nearly got killed again. He found himself in the middle of the battle, stabbing people with a lance, got dehorsed and nearly captured before he was able to escape. Now, eventually, this ambush esque idea wore off and the allies were able to keep marching through them because they had a much greater number of soldiers and they drove the Paraguayans off, killing nearly 3,000 people. Though, at this point, this is something that Lopez would call a victory, however, because his forces were able to steal some cannons, which they really did need. Uh, Though it cost them 3,000 dead soldiers, so you did it! Now, This turned into a new kind of tactic, guerrilla warfare. All throughout the swamps, groups of Paraguayan soldiers waited in ambush to constantly skirmish through the swamps as the Allies made their way through. This forced the Allies to march through, which is a mess of already being in a swamp, and then constantly fighting small clumps of Paraguayan soldiers, virtually all of whom fought to the death. And when they finally got to the Paraguayan main trench line... This ended with the two armies facing off against one another on either side of the northern part of the Estero Bellico, but their closest part of the lines were not even 100 yards apart. This would eventually turn into one of the bloodiest battles of South American history, okay. the Battle of Tuyuti, uh, which also is very, very stupid. <laughs> Love to see it. Lopez knew he had to dislodge the allies from their position, and he believed if he didn't do that, if he didn't immediately kick them off their their little foothold, they would use that as a step-off point for the rest of the invasion of Paraguay, but more immediately to eventually attack him. And he wanted the advantage of being on the attack, which despite the fact that everybody's dug in, it's not, not an advantage, but whatever. Advantage, Joe, but the advantage. And for the first time, I do have to admit that he was right about something. Uh, an allied prisoner told Lopez an allied attack was coming on May 25th, and he believed that he had to act before they did. So he planned his attack the day before, the 24th. And you can imagine how much actual in-depth planning went into this, which was not much. Slim to none. Yeah. The defenses were so close, any offensive could be fought from from your own position. You could literally just stand up and shoot at them. So his plan consisted of sending in three columns of soldiers around the flanks to attack the enemy reserve, thereby smashing them against their own forward defenses. The plan required surprise, which, as we know, nobody's very good at here in order to work. But surprise was impossible. You, Like I said, you could go, hey, look, they're moving. Like, mm-hmm. you can't sneak around Over this there, shit. Guys. Over there, guys. So everybody knew that the attack was coming because they could see them preparing to attack. Any kind of surprise attack on a fortified position required a detailed knowledge of enemy positions. And Lopez didn't really have that, nor did he. Ha- he didn't seem to have the concept of reconnaissance patrol. He never uses reconnaissance in anything. Uh, So his attack was planned around whatever he could see personally 
from his position with like a telescope. He was tactically eye fucking the situation. This dude loves a telescope. He's a fan. Yeah. Especially because he's seeing it so he can trust it. He doesn't trust his own generals. Right. He has to see it. Now, his plan also required him to control the battle from those same heights once it started, moving in his units, like micromanaging the entire battle rather than telling his officers what he expected of them to do. He's, no, I'll tell you directly as it happens. That's not how 1800s warfare works, right. mostly because communication doesn't really exist. Sucks ass, right? Yeah. And also, everybody's using fucking black powder weapons. So you could assume as soon as the battle starts and people start shooting, you can't see anything anymore. That's exactly what happened. On the morning of the 24th and the battle started, the entire battlefield was immediately obscured in powder smoke, meaning that nobody could see what was happening from the higher positions, which you'd think they would have known about because they had already fought several fucking battles and be like, black powder is a thing that occurs and occludes our vision. But We know about it, actually. So as soon as the battle began, all command and control, gone. All of the Paraguayan soldiers are now attacking on their own volition. Very little actual organized warfare happening. Just chaotic men throwing themselves at the Allied trench lines. Oh, good. Men charged forward into Allied lines with no orders outside of, uh, go that way. Now, when the first 10 or 15 minutes passed and the powder smoke immediately blanketed the battlefield, Lopez decided, well, I can't see anything. So he left his command position and uh, went back into his dugout to eat breakfast. Two of the Paraguayan flank attacks actually launched on time, half naked, sword wielding and screaming out of the nearby bushes. While the third got lost, missed the mark by two goddamn hours and then turned around and went back to the line. (laughs) I don't even know how you get lost in the situation. (laughs) Now, the forces that could attack were blunted immediately by the terrain. Horses, which the Paraguayans still had while the Allies did not, could not ride through chest-deep swamp water, nor did they... You couldn't order them to do that. Horses won't simply refuse. Um, Not to mention, these aren't exactly highly trained military horses at this point. Those are all dead. So, you got, like, regular-ass people's horses that you've stolen and requisitioned for military service have... No idea how to react with gunfire going around. So they're all panicking and throwing people off into the swamp. So the ones that were able to actually keep their shit together had to ride through a thin strip of solid ground uh, that kept them out of the water. Obviously, seeing all of these cavalrymen conga lining towards your position made it very, very easily for the Brazilian cannoneers to simply turn their cannons towards the swamp and then make it hell on earth within a few shots of grape shot. The swamp became so clogged with dead bodies, it impeded men behind them, creating a corpse seawall of sorts. Uh, Add a corpse seawall to our corpse infrastructure list. I don't know if we already had a seawall or not. Build back better bodies. (laughs) Other advancing forces found that, oh god, my musket doesn't work. Here's your lions led by donkeys PSA. Swamps and gunpowder do not mix. No. Can't shoot a musket if it's wet. So soldiers had to resort to using their muskets as clubs, as many of them had not been issued bayonets. On the right flank, Paraguayan cavalry fared slightly better, at least at first, until the Argentine artillery was then turned on them, turning them into a horse and human chunky pasta sauce mixture. Though as the lines kept smashing into one another during the attack, artillery could hardly pick out friend from foe. So they just shot them both without aiming. Great. 
In the middle of the attack, Paraguayan forces charge out of their position, singing the national anthem, only to be greeted by hails of canister shot from Allied cannons, which silence their singing pretty rapidly. <laughs> One Allied soldier remembers men and horses being torn apart and their limbs being thrown through the air, waves of blood raining down on Allied soldiers as they man their posts. Right. Blood. By 4 p.m., the battle was over. An allied soldier described what remained as, quote, repugnant with mutilated corpses and disemboweled horses over the entire horizon. So many dead bodies, man and animal alike, were on the ground in pieces or in whole that it was impossible to not step on something that was once alive. Lopez reported this is a victory to the state newspaper. It's not. It's not. We did it. <laughs> but and the fact was that his army had been annihilated. Of the 26,000 men he had sent into battle, a full 13,000 were casualties, half of whom were dead, and the medicine being what it was, the wounded would eventually also die. So many Paraguayan dead were left in the battlefield that the Allies weren't sure what to do with them all. As one Allied officer said, quote, The Allies buried some of their own dead, but then they heaped up all the Paraguayan corpses in alternating layers with wood in piles from 50 to 100 and then burnt them. They complained that the Paraguayans were so lean that they would not burn from starvation. Oh, they, they would simply mummify. No, thank you. The allies assumed seeing the old and young boys in the Paraguayan ranks, they had just massacred that the war would be over. Like, I mean, seriously, sure. what else could he fucking throw at us? He's got to be giving up. Nope. In their mind, they have to be losing their will to fight, but they were shocked that this was not the case. Despite starving to death and being riddled with disease, the shell of an army that Lopez had sent into battle still had incredible, nearly unbreaking morale. POWs begged their captors to kill them rather than accept the shame of capture. Other POWs ate scraps of food out of the garbage and hummed the national anthem as doctors sawed off their mangled limbs. God. Despite being mauled and losing thousands, the Paraguayan soldiers still shit-talked and mocked Allied soldiers from their trench lines, who were still only a few dozen yards away. This would be the last time the Paraguayans would launch an offensive during the war, which was still going to get much, much worse before it finally ended. And that is where we'll pick up next time. Exciting. Yeah, this is three of five. Somehow this war continues. <laughs> With mummy burn pits. Mummy burn pits, uh, shoeless soldiers. Uh, I, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> I have no idea. As I was researching this, I'm like, oh, this has to be over after Tuyuti. It's like, nope. nope, not even close. Tuyuti is the, the tip of the human misery chamber that we're about to get into. Back to the misery mines. Yep. So three episodes in, Liam, how are you feeling about the War of mummy, the Triple Alliance? Mummy burn pits. Come on, man. That's great. Mummy fucking burn pits. It's raining horse guts. There's humans everywhere. And our enemies are now deathless mummies. We're using toddlers as cart animals. Things are going <laughs> well for us. Uh, yes, the toddler quartermaster corps. <laughs> Liam, thank you so much for joining me on this particularly long episode. Plug no your shows. Uh, well, there's your problem. It's a leftist engineering disasters podcast with slides and jokes uh, and 10,000 losses. It's a Philadelphia sports leftist podcast. I'm also on this really shitty podcast with a co-host who has ball problems named Lions Led by Donkeys. My balls are healthy. They <laughs> Fuck you. 
I will not hear such testicular slander. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, if you like what we do here, consider uh, leaving us a review. That's free. It helps us with the algorithms and stuff. Uh, if you like the show enough to give us a dollar, you get bonus stuff, uh, Discord bonus episodes, stuff like that. And until next time, uh, avoid the mummy burn pit. Avoid the mummy burn pits. <laughs>